0: Hi, my name is Susie. The Old Testament reading is found in Zechariah 10:3 through5. God of the angel armies will step in and take care of His flock, the people of Judah. He'll revive their spirits, make them proud to be on God's side. God will use them in His work of rebuilding and use them as foundations and pillars. Use them as tools and instruments, use them to oversee His work. There'll be a workforce to be proud of, working as one, their heads held high, striding through swamps and mud, courageous and vigorous because God is with them, undeterred by the world's thugs. The word of the Lord.
1: Praise be to God. Good morning. My name is Kurt. The reading today from the New Testament is 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 13-13. Through 18 from the message, and it reads Keep your eyes open, hold tight to your convictions, give it all you've got to be resolute and live without and love without stopping. Would you do me a favor, friends, and give special recognition to the family of Stephanus? You know, they were among the first converts in Greece, and they put themselves out. Serving Christians ever since then, and I want you to honor and look up to people like that, companions and workers who show us how to do it, giving us something to aspire to. I want you to know how delighted I am to have stephanus, Fortunatus, and Acacus here with me. They partially make up for your absence they 've refreshed me by keeping me in touch with you. Be proud that you have people like. This among you, the word of the Lord. Good morning. My name is Clint. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Matthew sixteen, fifteen through eighteen. But what about you? He asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered. You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. The Gospel of the Lord. Lord
0: Well, good morning. Once again, happy Father's Day to all you dads out there. I think it's appropriate, a little golf clap perhaps. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, that was solid. Um, Thank you uh, for not booing when um, Evan said that Glenn was going to be gone for the next three weeks. Appreciate that. I know probably part of you wanted to, and rightfully so. You love your pastor and his family a lot. And I I really feel honored to, to get the chance to not only speak today... Um, but over the next few weeks, uh, next week we actually begin a brand new series called God at Work. And really the hope is that, uh, it's a four-week series, that over the course of the four weeks, we'll look at what we do from nine to five a little differently. And, and more specifically, we'll, we'll have God's eyes when we see what we do uh, in our workplace. And so today we actually finish up a series, but before we um, get to that, uh, I have to tell you this story because I think it's hilarious. Um, my family and I, we earlier this week, we were wrestling with a stomach bug. And um, those of you who have multiple kids know that when they're younger, if one of them gets it, it's pretty much like, great, we're going to be sick for the next three years because it's going to domino effect through the entire family. And so I, I, I was planning on watching the World Cup opener. Anybody excited about the World Cup? Some soccer fans in the house. Excuse me, football fans. Um, And so I I text him and said, Glenn, I can't watch the football game with you tonight. Our our family's struggling with a stomach bug or something. And this is what he sent back to me, knowing that I'm supposed to speak this summer. He said, bro, 17 years ago today, Michael Jordan made NBA final history. He scored 38 points and win over the Jazz in the infamous flu game. So, in other words, Jordan had the flu, but he still scored 38 points. So, he was saying to me, I don't care if you get sick, you're preaching for me on Sunday. So, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh yeah, Brad, I'm praying for you. I hope, yeah, we, yeah that's. I sent a text back and said, oh, I, all the MOGs I could think of laughing. I said, this is the best text I've received in months. So, my entire family got the stomach plug, except me, so I'm not bragging, just so we're clear, Lord, I'm not bragging, um, my wife and I, she's actually, honey, will you, will you stand up, yes, everybody wants to see, this is my wife, um, my wife and I, uh, we moved um, from California to Colorado about a year ago with our four kids, and so my role as pastor to young families is really fitting, because that's, that's what we are. Um, I have yet to push the 40 age barrier, so I'm I'm still I'm still young, right? Yeah, I, I want you guys to affirm when I ask <laughs> questions. Say yes. Um, so we're excited about being here in Colorado and in new life, even though it's been a, quite a year of transition to say the least. Um, this morning, as I as I referenced, we're finishing off this series that we've been actually for quite some time. Um, Church in the city, and I I love this series for a couple of reasons. One, it takes us through an entire book of the Bible, which is always really neat. You really get to know one book, and, and in this case, the, the city of Corinth, the church there. But the question, the overarching question of the book has really been, Can the people? can we become the people of God amidst a major metropolitan city, and one in which there is tremendous opposition to Christianity, tremendous voices that would say otherwise and so in, in essence, if, when we study the book of Corinthians, we, it can be a very encouraging thing to say, hey, if Christianity could take root there, then surely in Colorado Springs we could begin to become what God says that we already are. And so we close out um, this um, book of the Bible today, and I'm really excited. But before, uh, I just would love us to pray once again and specifically ask that God would help us to hear from him. Because the last thing I want as a as a communicator this morning is for you guys to walk and go, "Oh yeah, that was a that was a pretty okay message. It wasn't, Glenn, um, but it was okay, Brad. Guy, we kind of like him. Maybe we're side by side him." I want you guys. I want all of us to say, "Man, I think I heard something from God this morning." So let's pray to that end, God. We delight in the fact that that we're so loved by you. Help us to uh, open ourselves to you, God, knowing that your love is far deeper and far more real than, than we could ever know this side of eternity. And because of your love, God, we know that we can trust you. Help us to trust you this morning, that, that you want to speak over us, you want to speak to us individually and corporately. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you use me, a very imperfect vessel, to communicate your heart this morning? We ask that you would have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Carrie and I's oldest daughter, um, she's 11 years old. And having 11 years of parenting under my belt, I there's crazy experiences that I, I could spend the whole morning telling you stories about my kids and crazy, funny things, enjoyable things. that. And most of them, you go, okay, that, that's to be expected, Brad. You're, you're a dad of four small kids, and you, you know, you've, got, you've got a lot there that happens day in and day out. Um, but one of the things for me that's happened in my parenting journey that I didn't necessarily expect was this phenomenon that when your children reach a certain age, particularly my two boys, you actually vividly sometimes relive your childhood when you were that same age. So my two boys, Eli's three, Jackson's nine. I've done a lot of reflecting over the years about my own childhood and about my own adolescence, and it's really interesting because you sort of begin to see your childhood through adult eyes as you reflect back, and that's been a big part of my journey as, 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 as far as growing and developing and healing from some things in my past, is God's used my kids. Um, but Jackson, who's nine, he's begun playing organized sports, um, in particular soccer, and I've become quite a huge fan of him. On the soccer field. Um, So I've been thinking a lot about my organized sports day. In particular, uh, when I was in high school, I know this is going to come to no surprise to you based on simply my physique, Um, but I I was a basketball player. (laughs) Why why are you guys laughing at that? I I know you see me and you think, future NBA Hall of Famer. I know that's, before I even got up, you're like, wow, that guy must have played basketball. but I played basketball and I made up for my, my lack of natural talent and my lack of height by working really, 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 really hard because I pretty much had nothing else to offer the team except my hustle. Like the coaches were, you know, would be like, Brad, you're, well, um, what can I say about you? You hustle. I'm like, great, that's been said that for 10 years now, I get the hustle award, I, can I get like some other award, um, but I'll never forget, I was reflecting on it this week, how my senior year, I mean I had paid my dues, worked so hard, and I was just a scrapper, and I was finally starting, you know, I was like I earned this place, and I was feeling my, oats. feeling pretty good, and I'll never forget the first practice my senior year, uh, a young guy by the name of Josh rolled in. His last name will remain anonymous. Um, and he was a freshman. He got invited to try out for the team. And uh, the moment I saw him scrimmage, I was like, oh, my goodness, this, this guy is good. And the coach, about two weeks later, pulled me aside and said, Brad, um, I've decided to start Josh over you. Yeah, you guys, you guys can, yeah, you guys, Yeah, thank, thank you. I, this young man here is empathizing. I don't know, maybe we have a common story here, but you just, oh. you guys can moan. This is like a melodrama theater. Oh, yeah, this is, I want to feel your empathy here. And I had this weird moment of going, I, want, I, I earned this spot, I'm a scrapper, I, I work harder than anybody else in this team, but yet, what's best for my team is that I keep, this piece of wood over here warm with my backside. And it was this this weird moment for me that what was best for my team was for me to actually do nothing. And it, it kind of messed with me, it kind of got me thinking about, okay, Really? What's best for my team is that I don't contribute on the court as often as I would have otherwise. This this is messing with me. And it caused me, at times, in the year that followed, to really question my role in other areas. Like, if this is true of the basketball court, like maybe this is true of me in other places. Maybe I should just sit back and and not do anything, and that would be better for humanity, you know? (laughs) My heart's breaking here. Maybe you don't have a story like that in in high school sports. Hopefully you do, and we can cry later together. Um, But I think we've all been through that experience at some level or another where we question our role. Where do I fit into all this? Sometimes it's at the workplace. We get overlooked for a promotion or our job changes, and we're doing something that doesn't really fit us, and we're like, man, I thought it was going to be like this, and now it's like this, and we wonder, ugh. Sometimes it's that we just don't know our role. Maybe it's in our, in our family, we're kind of going, where does this, or at school, we're like, what am I, where do I fit into this place? What's my role? Sometimes it's that we really feel like we know our role, but we have these barriers that keep getting placed in front of us, and we never feel like we step into the fullness of of our role. I think this can be true in a number of different areas, but especially as I've pastored over the last 15 years, that this can be very true in the church. We come on a weekly basis, perhaps, and we sit, we enjoy the community, but there's something in us that goes, what, what's my role in all this? Am I, am I literally just to come and sit and listen and, and go back out? Like, where, what do I fit, where do I fit into all this? And in chapter 16, as we close out the series, we come to this last part of the book, Paul highlights a couple of different people. One person in particular we heard in our reading is a guy named Stephanus. and in highlighting what his role was in the church of Corinth, this morning I believe that we're going to be reminded of the role that we're all called to play here in this thing that we're calling the family of God First Corinthians 16, chapter, or verse 13. Right, we'll start in verse 13 and work our way down. Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute. Love without stopping. Would you do me a favor, friends, and give special recognition to the family of Stephanus? You know they were among the first converts in Greece, and they put themselves out, serving Christians ever since. Pause there for a second. Stephanus, it says he was the first, but other translations and many commentators believe that he wasn't in fact the first in the sense that he was convert number one, but that he represented the first of many fruits to come. In other words, the life, the, the fruit that he saw in Stephanus' life, Paul was saying this was sort of the first fruits where we really saw the church taking root. And we really saw, wow, there's something here. There's more to come. If what we see in Stephanus' life it it is legitimate, which we, we believe it is, it holds promise for what is to come. He goes on to say, I want you to honor and look up to people like that, companion, companions and workers who show us how to do it, giving us something to aspire to. I want you to know how delighted I am that Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaeus are here with me. One translation says, that he um, he took great pleasure in them coming. So he was when he was writing Corinthians. Right, he wasn't in Corinth. He was away. He was in Ephesus. There he was laboring in Ephesus, and he, Stephanus comes to visit. Presumably, most commentators would agree that they were they were the ones you know bringing the letters back and forth between Paul and Corinth. And so he sees Stephanus he's like this guy, and he's flooded with these memories of like the role he. He played and was currently playing in the church there. And he's like, this guy, he refreshes me, I remember. And he's like, Corinth, honor this man. Like, he sets an example, one translation says, I believe the NIV, sets an example for you to follow. This guy played this pivotal role in nurturing the baby Corinthian church in a really hostile city. He ends by saying this about them. He say they partially make up for your absence. They refreshed me by keeping me in touch with you. Be proud that you have people like this among you. We don't know a lot about Stephanus. We know that Paul personally baptized him. We learned that in chapter 1. But historians have really come to this agreement that he was probably a wealthy Corinthian businessman who, who... often welcomed the people of God in Corinth into his home. And you see him as sort of, he, he, we don't know if he had a designated role or not. We don't know if he was ever an official whatever, had a title, but Paul says, this guy from day one, he's just been there, working, loving, giving, offering himself. And he's like, honor people like that. It's an interesting contrast early in the book when we see Paul saying, look, it's not about these different leaders, you know, Apollos and Paul. Like, don't worry about all that. It's God who makes us grow anyway. But here in the end, he's saying he highlights this person. Certainly there's numbers of reasons, but I think for us today, it's by way of, of God saying to us, just like Stephanas, I've called you to help my Church flourish? And if the overarching question of this series is how can we be the people of God in the world or in a hostile world, the question that we end on today is this How can I help my church flourish? Another way to say it is what's my role in helping the family of God flourish? Now, we know, right, that it's ultimately God, Jesus, who builds his church. But Jesus, by a way of invitation, says, come and share in this. I want you to share in the work of bringing my family into full bloom, of helping the body of Christ fully realize its identity as my people. And it's this awesome invitation to us. To be a part of what God's already doing on the earth. The first thought that came to my mind when I I landed on this question of what's your role in helping the family of God flourish, I came to this, that we're to believe the family will become all that God says it is, or all that God says it already is. Now, what do I mean? There's a big difference between in practice and in essence, let me say it this way. There was a squad of men selected to represent our country, the United States of America, in the World Cup. So in essence, they said, you are the USA World Cup team. But we know, right? That in practice, Jurgen Klinsman, our coach, said, Ha, in essence you are. But in practice, hmm. Let's in fact, let's go practice right now. Put your cleats on. Another way to say it is, we are declared, the moment we say yes to our husband and wife, we are declared husband or wife. In essence, we are husband or wife. But in practice, we may have a few things to learn, right? We have a few things to work out. So what, do I, what am I saying? I'm saying that God already says that we're his beloved people, that we're a royal priesthood, that we're a holy nation, that we're his spotless bride. He has already declared that over us as our identity, but we all know, right, in practice, we're still working it out. The church is in process because we are in process. And when we sit back and simply scrutinize our church because it's not becoming what we think it should, We're in essence saying, it has to i have already arrived. We would never turn that around on ourselves or someone we love and say, how come you're not the perfect person that I want you to be yet? And for us to help the church flourish, we must recognize that it is on a journey that, and we are part of that journey. And instead of sitting back, folding our arms and saying, I wish our church would change in the following ten ways, Right, I follow this individual on, on Twitter, and that's where this voice came from. It's the church curmudgeon Twitter handle. And it's just, it's that, eee! the blind should be a different color because they reflect my beauty better. I don't, I don't know, what it, whatever it is, it's, it's, it's a bizarre thing. But we have, a, we have a choice to make. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, famous German pastor, martyr, spy, theologian. Um, said it like this in his book called Life Together, which I highly recommend. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. God hates this wishful dreaming because it makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. Those who dream of this idealized community demand that it be fulfilled by God, others, and by themselves. They enter the community of Christians with their demands, set up by their own law and judge one another and God accordingly. It is not we who build. Christ builds the church. And in response to to that quote, I kind of pretended like I was, you know, a friend of Bonhoeffer's this week and wrote I was like writing back to him, like, well, here's what I think about that. I wrote this. The sooner we realize that the church won't become what we want, the sooner we will enter what God has already declared the church to be and begin participating, anticipating the coming fullness of his vision. When we come face to face with our disillusionment with the church, we have two choices. We will become cynics who sit back and criticize those most involved in the church, or we will enter by faith the Christian community we have, full of hope that it will become what God already says that it is. It's this interesting tension that we feel inside. Sometimes we, we look at our church and we go, oh man, I, I wish it could become... And yet we could say the same, very same thing of ourselves if we're honest. And God simply is inviting us to, by faith, grab a hold and say, my church is on a journey. And as messy and as imperfect as it is, I'm believing that God is going to bring mess out of beauty. And this is really the involvement of our head. It's how we think about our church. And that's really the first step, I think, in helping our church thrive is a change in our mentality about the very essence of this thing we call the family of God. We could look at it like this. Don't let the church you want keep you from loving the church that you have. The second thing I think that, we, uh, that came to my mind when I landed on this question of, what what it look like for me to help throw fertilizer onto this family of God, to help it not just survive, but really come to life, what I, what I stumbled upon was this, that we're to offer the family the essence of who we are. And this one, the first one was about our head. This next one's about our heart. I, uh, there's a family here that goes to the New Life downtown that was recently on um, a missions trip. Their whole family got to go, and we, we got a call. Carrie got a text, and they said, our flight's been diverted from Colorado Springs. Anybody remember how windy it was yesterday? They tried to land twice, and the pilot was like, we're going to Pueblo. And so we get this call, hey, can you come down? And we said, sure, and and I, I go down. And what struck me was on the way home, I said, hey, how was your trip? And for the next 35 minutes, my friend and his family shared deeply about their trip with me. It was as if, it was almost like I felt like I had been on that trip. I look over and the, the friend, he, he, he's not like he's an insensitive guy, but he's like a go-getter, athletic, very just awesome person. But he's over there and tears just rolling down his face as he's telling me this. And I'm like, man, he's really opening up his heart to me. And it was this beautiful picture to me of community and what relationships in the body of Christ are to be. Here, Here I'm driving back from Pueblo, and I'm just getting so overwhelmed by this, this family sharing their heart to me. And, and I thought, that's a picture of what it means to bring the essence of who we are to the church, to one another. It's really about the nature and the depth of the relationships that we make with one another in this room. See, we can have a relationship, but it can feel more transactional. Like, hey, how you doing? Welcome. (laughs) You know, that's what I love about this meal group, you know, that Evan talked about. And and you guys getting into each other's homes and and offering yourselves to one another. In some ways, I'm tempted to say, perhaps there's nothing greater that, that causes the church to really take root And when we simply, vulnerably, in appropriate ways, offer ourselves to one another. You know, the tallest trees in the world are in the state that we left in California, the sequoias. And I didn't know this about those trees that that go hundreds and hundreds of feet in the air. But their root system is Incredibly intertwined, so much so that if you take one of them out, you uproot a lot of them. And I thought, wow, that's a beautiful picture in the natural world of what God has called us to be as believers, that there's a strength, that the glory of who God is will be seen more clearly when we are fully integrated our lives to, in, into one another's. When we open our homes and we invite each other in and And we say, here's who I am. And we begin to humbly serve each other and remind each other of who God is in the midst of our brokenness. I feel like it's not probably overblown for me to say, I would not be standing here. At least in the sense that I'm standing here today. If it wasn't for person after person after person after person that has offered themselves to me the essence of who they are that they didn't settle for a cold and different connection transactional relationship they looked me eyeball to eyeball and they said let me tell you a story about me let me tell you how God broke my heart and how God refined my life and how God spoke to me and how God did a miracle in this area of my life and they shared from the core of who they are We really have this decision to make. And and I'm not saying that if you're over here going, I don't know what I really think about the Christian community, that I'm saying you have to jump all the way over there to what I'm describing. But what I am saying is, will you take a step with me this morning and push a little bit deeper into offering more of who you are to the people around you? Will you take the risk of being vulnerable? Will you take the risk of asking someone else, a below-the-water-level question about their life. I have a friend, and sometimes he, he looks me in the eye, eyes and he says, How you doing? How you really doing? And I start to tell him, blah, oh, blah, 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 I tell him a little bit, kind of surfacey stuff. And then I'm like, How about you? And he goes, No, 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 no. He goes, I'm not done. <laughs> How are you doing? I'll have another cup of coffee, please. <laughs> this guy's pressing into me. It's a beautiful thing when that happens. It's counterintuitive, though, because we're by nature self-protective, we're by nature selfish, and yet the more we clutch on to our time and our money and our comfort as it relates to relationships, the less we experience what God has made possible in this thing called the family of God. I like this scripture in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15. Paul writing here, he says, I'm writing as a father to you, my children. I love you and want you to grow up well, not spoiled. There are a lot of people around who can't wait to tell you what you've done wrong, but there aren't many fathers willing to take the time and the effort to help you grow. It was Jesus It was as Jesus helped me proclaim God's message to you that I became your father. I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything. I'm already doing myself. And I think in the way Paul led the Corinthian believers and the other churches that God had given him apostolic authority over, we see this depth. He uses familia language, right? I'm your father. I've taken the time. We, we know that he writes to the church in Thessalonica that he was gentle among them like a mother caring for his children and he delighted to not only share the gospel with him them but his life as well. Paul was offering the essence of who he was to the people around him and the fruit and the strength of the body of Christ was proof that that's how God has called us to live. Stephanus, right? He labored, he opened his home, he nurtured. I mean, this is highly personal business here. If when you come to the church and you interact with the people around you, you don't feel like, this is highly personal. May I suggest that God has more he wants to offer you. He has more he wants you to experience. The last thing I think we can do to help our church really blossom is to serve the family with your God-given uniqueness. The first one involved our head, right? How we think about the church. The next one involved our heart. This third one involves our hands. If our church is to flourish, it means us taking our hands into the soil like a master gardener, or at least, maybe not a master, a novice gardener, and cultivating and tilling the soil and caring for it and nurturing a little garden. We just um, built our first raised bed garden. I was very proud of my, my woodwork. <laughs> I hope it lasts. Um, but I, we know, Carrie and I know, that if we're to have any hope of that garden flourishing, we're going to have to tend it. We're going to have to actually engage. Our hands are going to get dirty. See, some of us, oh yeah, I can believe my church is on a, on a process and I can think about it as like, I'm not going to be a sit back cynic and I believe God's going to one day fully make it beautiful and yeah, I can press into some relationships, but I don't know about actually getting my hands dirty. Hmm, I don't know actually about if my contribution should be at that, that level. Like You know, last time I tried to serve, it didn't go so well. And God is saying to us, come on, it's much less of a this, serve the church. And it's more of like, look at this garden. Will you you experience the joy of offering what you are to the church? You know, one of the things I've heard over and over and over in the last 15 years, as it relates to people getting involved in the church, I sort of summarized like what 100 people said into one nice little sentence that made sense to me, so forgive me. People, in essence, have said this to me. I had no idea I had this much to offer and that offering it would bring me this much joy. I had no idea that I actually had something to offer and in offering it, I would experience way more than I ever gave out. See, each of us is so unique. There was a study done by a group of cardiologists a number of years ago, and they actually said that we not only have a unique thumbprint, but we have a unique cardiac rhythm that you can actually If they wanted to identify us like this, they could put the stethoscope and go, Oh, yeah, that's Bill. We scream of a unique design, right? And in that same way, no one, in in many ways, no one can offer the church what you can. You're a unique blend and mix of five basic things. Your spiritual gift you said yes to Jesus, no exceptions, God has given you a spiritual gift that is way beyond any natural ability you possess to strengthen and build up his church. God has given you unique passions, things you naturally just make your heart beat fast that you care about. He's given you natural abilities. You're just good at it. Like me with basketball. personality right even though we try oh sanguine cleric phlegmatic blah 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 even though they try to to fit us into these boxes which can be helpful we're unique our personality is unique to us and then we have experiences no one has the experiences that you do compare life stories not the same what if you and i brought all that to bear and said what can i do where can i what can i put my hands in and it doesn't have to fit into this neat little Christian, like, praise God for those of us who love children and serve, right? But that's sort of one of the normal, like, we have an opportunity for you to share in the children's ministry. And again, thank the Lord. But if that's not your gig, if you, sh- in fact, shouldn't be in a room with small children because you would hurt them, because um, they drive you crazy, your fuses like this long when it comes to three-year-olds, like, yeah. They're all duct taped to the wall. I'm sorry about that, Pastor Glenn. It won't happen again. (laughs) That would be horrible. Can you imagine going and picking up your child like, they're in prison. This is a problem. We need some children's ministry plaintiffs. Okay. Security guards. Okay. But let's say your heart beats for artistic beauty and expression. And I guarantee you, if you emailed any key volunteer or staff and said, I like to paint, and I want to paint something for the church. I have no idea what it looks like. Help me out here. They'd be like, oh, my gosh. Come. Or you said, you know what? I, I can build anything. I can build anything. What do you want? Disneyland? Let's do it. Right? <laughs> I, can, I can pick up a hammer and a saw. At lookout world. And you said, what can I do? You will literally share in the joy that Jesus has all the time in nurturing the church. This is core to the gospel, right? We know in Ephesians 5, this simple idea. We hear this scripture a lot in, at weddings, and rightfully so. Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. And we, we focus on, husbands, good luck. Hope you're a man of prayer, because that's impossible unless you pray, Right? We focus on that, understandably so at a wedding. But really, that scripture is about God's heart. He says, Paul says in Ephesians 5, 25, that he loved the church so much that he gave his life. We know know in other parts of scripture that for the joy set before him, right, he laid down his life for his bride. I remember the day I married that woman. That was... One of the first days that I really understood a little bit more about God's heart for the church, the joy and anticipation of my life together with her, that we would come high, come low, come rain, come shine, we were going to be in this together. And the joy of that was a tiny little glimpse of what God feels when he sees us. What if we had the heart of God for this? And we said, God, with my head, with my heart, with my hands. I want to be a part of this church flourishing, not because in and of itself, like, that's the goal, but because you will be glorified. Because if we do that, this city will see something beautiful through us, and it will point them, it will scream, God is love, God is truth, God is hope, God is our future, God is everything. What if? So the invitation today as we come to the table is simply this. Jesus loved the church so much that he gave himself up for her. And in holding that, we say, God, that same heart that you have, will you infuse into me? Will you help me to be a bearer of your heart for this church that I am a part of, that I am a member of?